0: I'm always saying it's like building a house, if if the foundation is not good, which means your foot part, then the next level of the orthosis, if it's an AFO or KFO, uh, is also probably not good aligned. So good alignment, good foundation is really important.
1: Welcome to Let's Talk OMP. Let's Talk OMP is a box podcast for CBOs, technicians, and everyone who works in the OMP industry. We are providing the newest trends best practice and educational topics straight to your headphones my name is nicholas and i will be your host for this podcast and i'm an account manager for otterbach and we've been working with omp for 10 years and in today's episode of let's talk omp as you heard in the intro clip we will have a guest star and his name is folker uh, smith He's our uh, product specialist at producing uh, orthotics and and we will try to go through it from scratch, how to produce an orthotic. So we will be talking about the productions of AFOs and we will be talking about how to produce KFOs, how to make the cast, what kind of joints to use. And the reason for this is I get a lot of questions from not only customers, but uh, from schools as well to, to maybe give them some pointers on how to make the cost for instance and and maybe how to how many layers you should use when you're producing a, a kfo with the pre-preg and and we will try to give you some pointers in this this podcast so uh, i hope this will help and uh, there's nothing more for me to say than just to introduce our special guest star from germany Volker schmidt uh,
0: hello everyone yes uh, i'm uh, Volker schmidt i'm uh, from Otto Bock in germany uh, headquarters in, in duderstadt and i'm a cpo or a technician in germany you are both of that and i've been working for a couple of years with Ottobock now and um, i guess today we're going to talk about orthotics
1: yeah we are so it could be really great to start off by talking about how to produce an afo and then go over to how to produce a kfo but first we can start with the afo and then we start with the what you do before you take the patient in and then you do the casting and and Volker, then before you do the casting, what what is always important to remember?
0: Well, it's it's uh, always a good question what type of device actually the patient needs, because when it comes to orthotics, yeah. it could be an AFO, it could be in KFO. So, of course, before I start uh, taking the patient to the casting room, you do a good evaluation mm. and muscle testing to determine what is maybe missing, what type of function. Uh, and then see what type of solution orthotic-wise we could use. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the first step: good evaluation. And then it's uh, an orthopedic problem. if there are any deformities? Uh, if there's a muscular problem, a nerve problem? If, if, if there's any muscle weaknesses there, and then I can make the call if it's going to be an AFO or a KFO or a knee or whatever.
1: Yeah. So so when you then done, uh, when oh. you then have decided that this is an uh, an AFO, for example, then, then you go into the casting and, and what is the main things that you think about when you take a cast of a patient?
0: Well, I think if you, if you're going to go for casting, you want to have as much as perfect cast, right, to start with working. Mm. So it's really important that you get a good corrected mold of the patient's leg in a corrected way. And we, um, we do what we call stage casting. So we go step by step. Uh, I can explain that in a minute and um, I'm always saying it's like building a house. If if the foundation is not good, which means your foot part, then the next level of the orthosis, if it's an AFO or KFO, uh, is also probably not good aligned. So good alignment, good foundation is really important. In order to get that good foundation, we have a nice tool. It's called the foot casting aid. It's a tool that lets you choose the, the right heel height. Because you always need to check for the heel height of the shoes the patient is using. And then you have to cast the patient on that specific heel height. And of course, if the patient maybe even has a shortness of the leg, you also have to add the shortness on top of that. And so using that foot casting aid allows you to get the right height, as well as what we call like a pitch uh, from the metatarsal heads, where the the part from that area of the foot goes up again. So it kind of follows the shape of the shoe. And so using that foot casting aid will allow you to get that shape perfectly uh, doing your first part of the casting procedure. Is that for the first part? Um, And um, so the way I do it, I would use a couple of layers of plaster, place it under the foot, um, and then I can let the patient step onto uh, that foot casting aid while he's sitting in a relaxed position. And after a few minutes when the plaster takes uh, gets a little harder, I can use my fingers from the bottom and I can lift the foot up and I can massage in certain landmarks like the metatarsal pads, um, like the arch support, maybe a toe support, whatever is needed. And then when that is finished and the plaster is cured, I can trim it and use it for the second part of the casting procedure. Yes then the second part, once the first part is completed, um, so I don't have to worry about the bottom of the foot and the correction of the foot anymore, I will place that first part under the patient's foot and then I start wrapping around um, a couple of layers plaster up to the knee and support with some extra plaster in, in the back side of um, the lower leg. Um, so I have a thick enough plaster cast of the lower leg and when it starts to set I can focus on the right amount of correction in the ankle joint, hmm. meaning plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, flexion, uh, various valgus in the ankle. So I can really correct the ankle joint. And of course, if possible, I like to have it in both planes in neutral position.
1: So now that you cast it up to the knee, do you then mark the malleoles or, or how do you proceed? Uh, the malleolus, malleolus uh, the yeah. ankle
0: well yeah. I, um, I, um, I should have said uh, you can do it before you ca- do your casting or after your casting yeah. but uh, you place the patient's leg on that foot casting aid mm-hmm. and then you measure the height where you think you're going to place the ankle joint and as a rule of thumb is if you with your fingers you can palpate that pretty good if you feel the distal end of the medial malleolus that is kind of the height where you want to place the orthotic ankle joint, whatever ankle joint you're using.
1: Yeah.
0: It is going to be a compromise. So it's, um, um, it will be uh, a compromise because the anatomical ankle axis is actually tilted to yeah. so the lateral side. But the mechanical joints, of course you want to have them at the same height. Um, so you're going to use that compromise point And the other thing what you need to look for is when you later um, want to place the ankle joint is regarding moving an anterior or posterior, where you're going to place it. So when you look from the medial side, it's usually around 50%, so right in the middle of the lower leg. Mm -hmm. And then you can transfer that to the lateral side. And to make that all easy for you, um, at Ottobock we're using a, a special orthotic alignment tool. That helps you a lot Um, so basically you can slide um, to find with two metal pieces you can find the ankle joint um, will easily and transfer to the opposite side so if you're interested in that we do have some nice um, interesting technical information that goes by picture and explains every step how to use that alignment tool
1: yeah yeah, and that's a good tip and, and all of this you can find at our websites at Urbach. So, so just try to try to keep your eyes open for them. So now we've made an AFO cast. How do you then proceed to make a KFO cast? Do you then proceed on the AFO cast that you already have? Or do you do it differently when you're making a KFO cast?
0: Yeah. Now, um, especially for a KFO, because a KFO patient usually has probably not enough muscle power to stand for a certain time. Maybe he's unstable, uh, maybe has some deformity. So um, these two steps I just explained, the foot first and then the lower part, would be for an AFO. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a KFO, you, I would then, for the last stage, have the patient lay down. And then it's kind of nice to have a person helping you that kind of uh, holds the patient's leg, and I can now cast from below the knee up to the thigh section. And I like to cast as high as possible, so I really have all the soft tissue included. And again, I have some plaster splints prepared that I can put on the lateral or medial side to support the cast to make it strong enough. And at the time the plaster starts to set off, I will have to correct the patient's leg in the knee. And correction means um, varus valgus in the frontal plane or extension flexion in the sagittal plane. And again, I would like, if possible, um, have the leg in the neutral position in both uh, directions. That is kind of the concept. So you go really step by step so you can focus um, on the ankle joint uh, first and then on the knee joint second because otherwise you don't have enough hands to really correct the patient's leg.
1: But then also you get Does the, that makes sense yeah it makes sense and but but then you also have to think about the, um, that you have to have it parallel from the knee joint to the ankle joint right
0: and um, yes yeah. later again i would do that um when i use my alignment tool yeah. so if there is not a severe external rotation of the ankle joint so let's just say there's no deformity in in, in rotation wise because there are always exceptions. But uh, in general, if there's no deformity, I would have in the sagittal plane, the ankle joint, the mechanical one, and the knee joint, the mechanical one, in the same direction, basically in the walking direction. Again, it's a compromise a little bit. Mm. Um, That is the best way to place mechanical joints, because then, when both of them are moving at the same time, they move in the same direction but of course as i just said there are always exceptions if someone has a severe let's say external ankle rotation of course you have to kind of follow that a little bit yeah and again the alignment tool allows you to follow that external rotation if needed yeah and so
1: yeah it's really good and and i was uh, just uh, thinking to to myself and uh, I've always the questions that I get is is how do I choose what kind of joints to use on my patients? So so if you have a yeah. AFO patient, why how to yeah. how to choose the joint and and why do I choose a, a ankle joint with springs and why do don't I have an open one or or should I not have a joint at all? But do you have some some kind of um, rule book for <laughs> for the for the CPO students yeah. or
0: so on. Yeah. Sure. Um, that goes back to what I, I said at the beginning. Of course, you do your evaluation, and you look um, what type of muscle function maybe is still there, what type of range of motion maybe is there. So uh, let's start with the range of motion in the ankle. If someone has, for whatever reasons, maybe a fixed ankle, then of course I don't give him an ankle joint at all. If he has maybe, up to five degrees range of motion, you really should think about, do I really give, want to give him an ankle joint or not? The rule, at least in, in the German school system we teach, from five degrees on, you should give him an ankle joint. And I personally i am a big fan of the so-called double action ankle joints because yeah. they allow you to do everything. You can limit the range of motion, you can put springs in, uh, you can change if the condition of the patient changes. Um, And the classical one and a little bit advertisement is a 17B66 from Ottobock. It's a system double-action ankle joint. And now to your question, when to put the spring in? Well, for example, if you realize when you do your muscle testing that the patient for whatever reason is not able to pick up his foot, he has a drop foot because maybe his uh, muscle tibialis anterior is is not working, then you wanna give him a spring in the back, for example. Because then the, the, the function that is not there anymore that the patient, the orthosis has to do. So that would be my, my, my train of thought, like yeah. evaluation and then determine uh, what type of function the orthotic ankle joint has to take over. Yeah, And, and yeah. the same would apply if, if we have a K4 patient. Oh. Um, the biggest question you always have to ask yourself, what happens at heel strike? So if someone is paralyzed, maybe he has no gluteus muscle and no quadriceps anymore, when he would put his foot on the ground, he would collapse. So therefore, the orthotic knee joint has to take over that part. And that could be done by a locked joint system. And locks can be everything from a switch lock, a drop lock, or depending on the muscle status, uh, a so-called stance-controlled orthosis that locks only in stance phase and it's free in three swing phase. So you have to have a clear picture of the uh, muscle dysfunction to make that call. Mm. And that makes it so challenging sometimes in orthotics.
1: Yeah. So, so when do you decide, when do you think it's, it's best to use a, a stance phase control or process?
0: If, if maybe the patient has still a little bit, and i i i I hope you are familiar with the muscle grading there's a scale from zero to five five meaning full force and zero means nothing and uh, three would be for example against uh, uh, gravity Um, and so let's say the patient maybe has a gluteus hip extension muscle of three so he can still get a little extension moment then he could be a good candidate for a stance control orthosis, for example. Or even the latest version, um, we have stance and swing control orthosis, uh, which is called the C-brace, which is even better. Uh, But to answer the question, really you look what is still there in muscle power and what is not there. And sometimes it's not really so easy to say right at the beginning. And that's why we usually make a test orthosis. Uh, when it comes to laminated orthoses, um, and there we can maybe try out one joint or the other joint.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, actually why, <laughs> where we're going now. We're going to the production part, so so that's uh, good to start with. So it's always good for uh, can
0: can I yeah. can I add one can yeah. I add one more thing? Reg- of because course. It's, uh, regarding all the what type of orthosis and what type yep. of ankle joint, we do have we do have nice overviews that really follow that guideline, like you, evaluation, muscle testing, deformities. And um, you can find that in our catalogs. And, yep. and we also have posters for that. Maybe that's kind of helpful, yep. uh, especially um, if you're not so sure what is right. It's a nice guideline that really follows you to make you help to choose the right component, the right design, the right orthosis for this particular patient. So little advertisement for that.
1: Yeah, okay, I, mean, I totally agree with you because oh, yeah. it's, it's it's good to see when when uh you have those arrows down and you can see where to uh, where to go and uh and and all that and i think it's really good and it's easy to follow so that's a, that's a good ad- advertisement i think <laughs> so yeah. yeah but but we can go to the production part so so you you talked about a uh, little bit about you have to you have you make a test testosterone and and i agree with you that that's a really important thing for 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 us to do actually, when, when you take a cast, you, it's it's really good to have then a test orthosis to see if, if it actually fits.
0: Especially if it's a new patient, let's say, uh, you, he walks in the first time in your office and uh, um, you don't know where his maybe, um, where the challenge is going to be, if he's got some fitting issues and uh, all those things. And the best thing is really to make a test orthosis and we like to use uh, thermoplastic material um, that is strong enough, but still you can do some changes by heating it up. Let's say if there are some pressure points. So basically, you make the test you do that extra step to get the perfect fit, to make sure your joints are at the right spot. And if not, you can still change it on the test If there are any pressure points, what type of special padding? Maybe at certain areas you need to replace in. Uh, where you're going to put the the straps, the closure, all those things you can determine, and then basically you can take the test rod and, and fabricate the final device, and the final device then, in the best case, fits like a glass. so yep. you don't have to worry about any fitting issues anymore.
1: No, you really. That don't. is
0: the reason why, especially for KFOs, I would I would probably always do it test rod Sometimes for AFOs, I think. Uh, you can get away with it because AFOs uh, sometimes is a little bit easier regarding the fit, and you only have to worry about the ankle joint. And um, so, it depends. But for KFOs, I definitely recommend to make the test
1: And then I was thinking about something that I forgot to ask you before. But but when you choose a unilateral ankle joint, and when you choose a bilateral ankle joint?
0: Well, the it's um, I'm a big fan of that unilateral yeah. joint system. Um, you you the thing is you need to know there are certain weight limits on our at, at least on our joints and i know all the the competition also has it so of course there's a lot of force on the, if it's only one joint so we we tested it and um, there are certain weight classifications and i think our unilateral joint goes up to 110 kilograms hmm. patient for example for the ankle uh, you can use. So first So first, uh, the weight is a thing and, and um, you, you go by the patient's weight and the other thing is, of course, if you have someone with a severe deformity, let's say in the frontal plane, let's say he has a varus ankle more than 10 degrees, I think that would be a contraindication for going unilateral at the ankle, but if you're in between the weight limits and there's no major deformities, I'm a big fan of unilateral and um, that would probably be my first choice. Yeah. If, of course, you need to discuss with the patient if he prefers that, and um, but that is a good good solution. Same applies for the knee joint as well.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and I and I think the you get a lot more freedom with the with the unilateral as well because you don't uh, it's it's not so much to think about in the shoe and all that. So so it's I think it's better. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, we we say less is more. You know, less yeah, less yeah. orthotic <laughs> joint uh easier to get in the shoe, lighter. Uh, um, it, you don't have to worry about being parallel to the medial joint. No. You only have to line it up with the ankle, of course, but not with the other joint. So uh, fabrication will make it easier, less metal bending. So um, I'm a big fan of uh, unilateral uh, work, if it's possible. Yeah. So my first choice.
1: There are many ways to produce uh, a an AFO and a KFO. You can use uh wet lamination you can use prepreg or you can use thermoplastics or uh, or something else silicone maybe and uh, but i think many people are now leaning towards the the prepreg method and uh, really here in scandinavia and norway as as i work i, I really think that uh, that is something that people quite prefer to to use but uh, maybe you can talk a bit about how many layers maybe you should use in uh, prepreg that we maybe have a, a, some sort of guidelines for workshops and, and you can also talk a bit about uh, wet lamination as well. But, but I think we should really focus most on, on the pre-break part,
0: of course. Let me just real quick start with wet lamination. We yep. do have an official, again, technical information. So Ottobock gives you, I'm always saying it's a little bit like a cookbook. You know, you have a picture and the text and so it gets you through every step. So that's maybe useful, especially if you don't have too much experience with lamination. And it tells you how many layers of carbon as an average at uh, the concept. And of course, if you have your more heavy, more active patient, you can add one or two layers on each of uh, the parts that you put it on. So also, Bock cannot 100% tell you for each patient, because you can have a light patient who's yeah. really active or has a deformity, who puts much more stress on the orthosis than a heavy patient that is more inactive and has no deformity. But we do have these guidelines. For wet lamination. And for pre also, we have a lot of, uh, over the years, we have a lot of layout plans. And for example, we have one official layout plan that you can follow, especially for the sea braids that uses the same unilateral ankle joint uh, where possible. And it tells you exactly how many layers of carbon you put under the stirrup, how many you put on top of it, how many you put around the upright, for example. Um, so that that is all available, yes. Yeah. Um, but it depends a little bit on 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 the design, on on the patient's weight overall. And um, for example, some patients maybe need a more stiffer forefoot, for example, and some a more flexible. And then of course that um, is something where you can play a little bit with your layout plan.
1: Yeah. But for for people that haven't done it so much, so so if you wanna flexible forefoot, how, how many layers would you would you say you would uh, need?
0: Well, the secret is uh, it comes back to what I said when it comes to the casting. Remember, you use your foot casting aid. Yep. That that little wedge, that pitch goes right to the metatarsal heads, And that is the area from where on you normally want to have your forefoot to be flexible. So you need to determine that area first when you do your casting. And then later, when you place the carbon on your mold for fabrication, you maybe go up to that line to make it really stiff. So you put what we call unidirectional or 090 carbon up to that layer. And from that layer on to the forefoot area where you want to have it more flexible, you put, and that is like the standard, two layers of 45 degrees carbon fiber. And that allows you that when the patient wants to roll over from that metatarsal point from that moment on it's flexible but stiff itself so that is a little secret so it's a matter where to place the carbon what type of carbon and in in what kind of direction the carbon goes and again we give it all out we give these secrets out uh, how to do it in the technical information yeah If you use our ankle joint and uh, the forefoot keeps breaking no one's happy you're not happy the the patient is not happy you have to redo it again so um, the carbon fiber principles uh, where to place which type of carbon fiber uh, no secrets no no in the the final call how many layers again that is something the cpo the technician has to do but the concept we give out everything yeah
1: but but don't we have a Sort of a, a standard, and from the standard we go up or we go down. Yes, because I I remember yes. that when the, I was working. exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. That's what I meant. We yeah. have these layout plans. Yep. Uh, I mentioned the one for the seaways, for example, is up to 125 kilogram patient. Yeah. For prepack or wet lamination, and of course, if you got your, if you make a normal uh, for someone who's 70 kilos, you can downgrade it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I. Was but just... the concept. Which carbon uh, plate on the mold in what direction? That is what we give you.
1: So, let's say we have a 70 kilograms uh, woman. She has a drop foot. She's going to be using a unilateral double action ankle joint. How many layers would you then use on uh, the foot part? And how many layers would you use on the leg part? Do you have any recommendations on that?
0: If it's a drop foot, then the main problem is in swing phase to pick up the foot. So there's no need to give someone who only has a drop foot a stiff forefoot because he doesn't need it or she doesn't need a stiff forefoot. So in that case, I would do, as I mentioned before, two layers of 45 degrees from the metatarsals to the distal end of the foot. That is more than enough. And under the foot, I work with uh, the 090, um, and I would say altogether, I would have between four and six layers. So maybe three layers underneath the stirrups. Then you add the stirrups, and the stirrups itself. When it comes to wet lamination, they are kind of covered with a combination of um, 45 degrees and 0-90 degrees carbon fiber. So um, again, of course. If you're interested in more details, I can I can uh, again um, recommend the technical information yeah. because there on the pictures you will see everything. But I'm trying uh, that's a little bit limited if you only can explain it in words yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, don't yeah, have samples some. where you can yeah. take a look at. Um, but that would be kind of the standard layout for that uh, patient you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, I, I think that's a good uh, good start. And and I think I think when you're making it, you have to just. Uh, be sure that you have enough layers because uh, you don't yeah. you don't want to gamble with that because because prepreg and uh, carbon is is not uh, is not good for the patient if it breaks so you have to be no. be careful and you, you use enough layers that's m- maybe the and, thing you have to and take maybe
0: on. maybe one thing um, a lot of times I see that people put a lot of carbon in it all over the place yeah. everywhere um especially in wet lamination but it's it's the secret is in what direction are the forces going and then to put the right carbon there and basically we have these three groups of carbon we have unidirectional where it only goes in one direction we have that 090 where it goes in both directions in in 90 degrees and we have the 45 that is usually good for torsion forces so you you have to be a little engineer when you make whatever you make if it's orthosis or prosthesis you have to think what type of forces will be at, at certain areas and then how can I control it with the best possible way by placing the carbon fiber in the best possible directions. That is the secret. And the same is in pre-prec. It's the same. Pre-prec is just the big difference is, of course, the material is different because it already has the the, the resin around it and you have to cook it later. But the concept in the carbon fibers, the directions, what I just explained, is exactly the same. So... Yeah. Some people prefer pre-preg because it makes it usually a couple of percent lighter. Uh, and some people uh, still do wet lamination, which is also fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we will, of course, leave this up to you guys that are making this stuff. And uh, if you will use wet lamination or pre-preg or whatever you will do, we will leave that up to you. But uh, Falker, I was just thinking, is there something that we have uh, forgotten?
0: Well, it's orthotics. We could could, uh, talk for uh, hours. I hope you all can. We can talk for hours. Um, But I I hope I could give you some little um, new ideas about orthotics and uh, make you a little bit curious about um, what Autobock maybe can support you at uh, from the technical side, from the clinical side, tips and tricks. So um, that's part of what we do at the Autobock Academy.
1: That was Volker Schmidt from Audebock Academy and uh, we'll just have to say a big thank you to Volker for wanting to do this once again. And if you want to know more about OMP, visit our website in your country and uh, go into Academy for training materials and and live sessions. The sites are updated on a regular basis and are uh, under reconstruction, so please be patient. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel autobox professionals we also have an instagram page uh, autobox scandinavia and we also have facebook so like us on either one and if you want to have a topic uh, in this podcast you can just uh, leave us a comment on facebook or on instagram and we will try to take it up in the podcast next time so that's it for uh, this podcast so uh, we'll talk next time